Would you please turn in your copy of the Scriptures to Romans? The book of Romans, it's the sixth book of the Christian New Testament. And if you're using the Pew Bible, it's page 796. Romans is a book that addresses the very foundation of our Christian faith. All 66 books of the Bible are important. They all lead us to Jesus. Some are more historical in nature. Some are more narrative, more, are more narratives for us. Some are more prophetic in nature. The book of Romans is an all-out blitz on the gospel of Jesus. It's an all-out blitz on the undeserved, the, the unmatched, the unstoppable gospel of Jesus Christ. Specifically, the section of Romans that we are in is, is a grace-filled section with assurances from God to His children. So we're looking at chapters 5 through chapters 8, and we're being reminded of the glory of being assured of our standing with God. It's like the old hymn says, I am His and He is mine. And that's the end of the matter. What a beautiful truth for us. God didn't have to provide this assurance, but He did. And that for us is grace. Would you please follow along as I begin reading in Romans chapter 8, beginning of verse number 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirits. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weakened through the flesh, God sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled, might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. The mind that is of the flesh is, 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 a, is the enemy of God. For it, does not, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But you were not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his, or he does not belong to Christ. Verse 10. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised Christ from the dead shall also quicken or make alive your mortal bodies by the Spirit that dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if through the Spirit you do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. 
If you have never trusted Jesus, if you've never trusted that Jesus is the only way to God, and I mean Jesus alone is the only way of, to God, not Jesus and your good works or Jesus and your Christian heritage, but if, if you have never trusted that Jesus alone can be the way to God as your Savior, I'd invite you this morning to consider the peace of knowing your eternal destiny that is guaranteed. That you can be assured of that only through God's work in you, through His Spirit. That assurance only comes from God. It only comes through their trusting in Jesus. Now, if you've gathered this morning, as, as many of us have as Christians, we have been chosen by God the Father, we have been redeemed by God the Son, and we have been sealed by God the Holy Spirit. And until we are face to face with Jesus, the Holy Spirit indwells us and empowers us as Christians to live a life that is holy, to live a holy to pursue a holy life. That's the question we need to ask ourselves this morning. Can we really be holy in our living? In, Roman, in our study in Romans chapter 7, a few weeks ago, we contemplated this struggle that we, went, we go back and forth, right? We, we, we desire to do what is right, but we find that whenever we desire to do what is right, evil lies close at hand. And so we've, we want to do what is right, and we have this, this desire to do what is right, and we love the law of God, but we find ourselves that there's this other law that's, that's, that's in our members that's working itself out in sin. And we cried out with that desperate cry that the Apostle Paul gave to us at the end of, of, of chapter 7. He said, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he said, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. And so we find that ourselves going in this, in this, in this struggle. I was reading from Paul David Tripp's New Morning Mercies book. It's a, it's a 365-day devotional. It's available in our bookstall. I highly recommend it to you for your Bible time in 2022. It would be a, a great study for you, a great one-page devotional for you to, to encourage you each day. But I was reading through that this week, and Tripp said something about how we try to, to, sometimes we try to gut out our Christian life. Like we just try to, we just try to do it all on our own. We, just try to tr we, tr we look at holy living and we think, I'm just going to gut this one out. I'm just going to try really hard and, and gut this out. And sometimes we think that, that living a holy life is just a matter of, of trying hard enough. Gutting it out is futile, isn't it? We've all tried that and we've all failed miserably. We know, what, we know how that works, right? I'm never going to overeat again. And then we go to the Cheesecake Factory. I'm going to read my Bible every day this year. And then we come to Leviticus on a really busy day, and we're like, oh, I'll never curse under my breath again. And then we hit our thumb with a hammer. I work really hard at loving that disagreeable person. I can do this. Well, how does that always end? Or how does it end a lot of times when we're just trying to gut it out in our, in our own strength? There's a Hebrew word that we find in the Old Testament it goes like this. It doesn't work. God did not ask you to earn your 
no condemnation status. Rather, he provided that through his son. Likewise, God doesn't ask you to gut out your holy living. Rather, he provides it via his spirits. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, one triune God, are simultaneously working in sync to the end that people from all over the world, not just people in this neighborhood or people in Lancaster, but people from all over the world throughout human history can be eternally rescued. And that's why salvation is so glorious. It's the work of our one triune God. From these verses, verses 9 through 13, I want us to observe how the Holy Spirit provides for our holy living in three ways. First, we see that the Spirit of life provides the might or the power for our holy living. We need the Holy Spirit every single day, Christian. The power and the presence of the Holy Spirit is exactly what we need in order to live the holy life that, 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 we, are, that we are called to live until Jesus comes again. When we reach the finish line, there will be, we will be finally and fully and completely glorified. But until then, we're still in the struggle. And there's plenty of confusion in our world and even in Christian circles about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, is not some mystical being that we must never know about. He is God. And he is present with God's children. As we read in John's Gospel this morning, God hasn't left us to, to ourselves Rather, he is with us. Jesus sent the Comforter, sent the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is with us. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Holy Trinity and, and possesses all the attributes of God because he is God. I was in membership meeting yesterday, and I was reviewing our church's statement of faith, and I was reminded of, of, of our statement on the triune God. And our, our statement of faith explains that three persons of the Godhead are co-identical in attributes. So the Holy Spirit has all the power of God because the Holy Spirit is God. Now I think that we can all agree that Jesus being raised from the dead was the ultimate display of all power or of, we would say omnipotence. Jesus was dead and then he was living. That happened by the power of God. Look again at verse number 9 of Romans chapter 8. You, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit if be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him, this is just a glorious verse here, but if the Spirit of him that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, Christian, he that raised Christ from the dead shall also quicken or make alive your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwells in you. So the Holy Spirit has all power. The Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, according to verse number 11. We also read this in the first chapter of Romans. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart by the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. We also read Paul talk about this in, in, the, in his letter to the church at Ephesus. 
in Ephesians chapter 1, in him, that is in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed by the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And then in verse 16, Paul tells the church at Ephesus that he's praying for them. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and the, in the revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened so that you may know what is the hope to which you are called, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power in us, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So Paul told the church at Ephesus, he's telling the church at Rome, that the power of the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus was fully dead for at a moment in time. He was in the grave three days. But then there was a moment when his heart began to beat and the blood began to, to race through his veins. And do you know why? Because of the power of God. It's the immeasurable greatness of that power that is given to every believer. That's Paul's big point in verse 11. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, Christian, that power is available for you to help you live a holy life this week. What a word of assurance for each of us. If the Spirit who raised Jesus from the de dead, dwells in us, that same Spirit will give life to our mortal bodies. Friend, it takes the same might, it takes the same power that raised Christ from the dead to, to save you, and it's, that tells us something. If it takes that kind of might, the might that raised Jesus from the dead, if it takes that kind of might to save us, to rescue us, it tells us something about us, doesn't it? We were really, really messed up people. Totally depraved from all the way through. God didn't send an angel to raise Jesus from the dead. Angels were present, we know that. But they didn't raise Jesus from the dead. God didn't ask Mary to raise Jesus from the dead. Angels or Mary, they don't have all power because they are not God. Rather, God himself raised Jesus from the dead. Likewise, Paul tells us, it takes the power of God, the Spirit, for us to live holy lives. We were dead in our sins, children of wrath like the rest of humanity. Only, our only hope was the power of God for salvation. And our only hope now for holy living is the power, the might of God. We're not glorified yet, right? We're still in the struggle. We're not what we want to be. We're not what we, we, will, we are not yet what we will be. And because we are not yet what we will be, God, the Holy Spirit, gives us life. His power is exactly what we need. Friends, your holy life, living a holy life, is dependent upon God's ability. It's dependent upon God's power. It's dependent upon God's might. Because of that, we should think of ourselves differently. We aren't the same. God is with us. 
I am not like the old Adam. I'm trying to be like Christ, the second Adam. Paul said, it's no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. We've been made alive. The re- that reality will change my perspective on the darkness that we experience in this world. That reality will change my responses to temptations of sin. It will change my responses in relationships. It will change how I think about death. We don't have to fear death if we are in Christ. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body. Friends, let's recognize, let's acknowledge this morning that we cannot live the holy life in our own strength. We can't gut it out. We can't do the American thing and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We cannot live a holy life in our own power. We need the power of God in us. Living holy in this sinful world is such a difficult task. So difficult that our only hope for doing so is to have the omnipotence of the Holy Spirit within us. And Paul tells us it's available to us. Let's not tell our kids that it's up to them. Let's not tell our kids just do better with your obedience. Let's not tell our kids, let's not train them to think that they can live a holy life in their own strength. Let's not advise them just to work a little bit harder. Rather, let us point them to the power of God. Let us tell them that if God has the, has the power to raise Jesus from the dead through the Holy Spirit, that same power is, is residing within them if they are a follower of Jesus. So not only does he have the, the power to raise Jesus from the dead, but he has the power for your children to live a holy life. The remaining sin that we have is, is so strong. It is so strong with us that it takes the power of God, the Holy Spirit, for us to live in a way that's in accordance with God's word, for us to obey God. God did not ask you to earn your no condemnation status. He provided that via his son. Likewise, God has not asked you to to gut out your holy living. Rather, he provides that through through his spirit. The spirit of life provides the might or the power for your holy living. Paul goes on and he teaches us that the spirit of life provides the motive for our holy living. The first few verses of of Romans 8 are just, we read them this morning, right? Such an encouragement. They remind us that us as believers, that we are no longer under condemnation. Praise God. That we are free from the law of sin and death. Yes, that we are no longer under sin's rule. Hallelujah. That we are walking by the Spirit means that we have minds that are set on the Spirit and that we live through the Spirit. And we say, yes, praise God for that. Paul reviews that in verse number 12. He says, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. We are not to live according to the flesh. So remember that the flesh includes the motives and the affections and the words and our actions and our attitudes and priorities that, that, that sin generates through our bodies. Any kind of sinful attitude or action is, is going to be of the flesh. And that's where Paul gives the big motivation. He says, if you are God's child, you're not a debtor to the flesh. Because of Christ's work, the, f- the flesh doesn't rule in us. 
any longer. We have been freed from that bondage. We as Christians owe the flesh jack squat, if I can say it that way. We've been set free. We no longer have to serve the flesh. We don't owe the old man anything. You are not a debtor to the flesh. You are set free from your bondage to serve sin. But that's only half of the motivation. Because we are, we are not only, not only are we Christians and we are not a debtor to the flesh, the opposite side of that coin is that we are a debtor to mercy. In other words, not only are we not facing bondage to sin, we are recipients of God's mercy. We are recipients of God's grace, undeserved kindness to us. And that is the motive for our holy living. Our holy living is motivated from the realities of the gospel. God created us, humanity, in his image to rule without sin over his creation. But we as, as a human race, we rebelled against God, we sinned, we ate of the fruit that he told us not to eat of, and that resulted in a death sentence. A death sentence that we as a human race justly, rightfully deserved. God promised to send someone to rescue us from that death sentence, and one day God the Son came to the earth, and he lived completely sinlessly, but, but was crucified anyway. But he was crucified for sins that were not his. In other words, Jesus was making the payment for sin that sinners deserved to be making, the payment that they deserved to be making. Jesus was raised by the power of God, the Spirit, and then Jesus ascended into heaven to serve as an intercessor for us. He's still doing that even right now before the throne. The Bible tells us that whoever acknowledges that they are a sinner, whoever acknowledges that they are deserving of hell and turns away from sin, not to be perfect, but repents of sin and place their trust in Jesus and trust that Jesus' work on the cross, his sacrifice was in their place, that he was being their substitute. Whoever does that will be saved, will avoid eternal death in hell. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think, when I'm giving reconsideration, because I've heard it so many times, when I'm thinking about that, when I think that I deserve to go to hell, but God intervened in this miraculous way, and now I'm not going to go to hell, but I'm going to go to heaven for all of eternity to be with Jesus. When I think that in that mindset, I'm motivated to live in a way that God has called me to live. When I think about the glorious realities of the gospel, I want to live for Jesus. I want to do what's right. Do you see it? That's the motive for holy living. Holy living isn't motivated by, by trying to appease God. Holy living isn't motivated by, by guilt from an authority. Holy living is, motivated, is not motivated by the American attitude, just, just get her done, just work really hard at it. Holy living is motivated by the Holy Spirit through the realities of the gospel. Our status has changed. If God was willing to, to not only die for us, but also to, to come and live within us, the spirits, if he was willing to do both of those, can't we choose to live a holy life for him out of thanksgiving to him for doing that for us? We've been born again. 
we're new creatures. But because sin still remains, we won't live the way we've been recreated to live. And God knew all of that. So he left his spirit. And that's his grace to us again. And that grace is our motive. So keep feeding your mind. Keep feeding your, your, your heart and your soul the gospel. Keep saturating your mind with the good news. Rehearse those truths to yourself over and over. Sinless Jesus died on a cross for you. You can't get motivated to, to, you know, if sinless Jesus did that, can't you get motivated to put some accountability software on your, your devices? Jesus left the glories of heaven to come and to obey the law in your place, and you can't be motivated to, to sacrificially love your wife? See what it does? When we think gospel, we find motive for holy living. So gather with your church family. Gather at the table to be reminded of the gospel. Speak of the gospel to one another in connection groups. Send encouraging messages to one another to remind one another what God has done for you. That is a motive to holy living. You see, God did not ask you to earn your no condemnation status. He provided that for you via his son. Likewise, God hasn't asked you to, to gut out your, your holy living. Rather, he's provided that for you through his spirits. The spirit of life provides the might for your holy living. The spirit of life provides the motive for your holy living. And thirdly, the spirit of life provides the means for your holy living. Now really, I was going, I, I know sometimes alliteration drives people crazy and sometimes it helps people. So if it helps you, great. If it doesn't, I'm sorry. If it's a distraction, I'm sorry. Really, I was going to put mandates for your holy living, but there's a lot of connotations that go with mandate these, these days. So I just put means. Look at verse 13. For if you live after the flesh, you will die. But if through the Spirit you do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. One day, our flesh will follow our spirits, but not yet. Someday, our bodies will be completely new, but not yet. Because right now, there's still a degree of, of sin around us, right? You sinned this past week, I sinned this past week. The struggle is still real, right? So what do we do? What's the means for holy living? Or what's, what's the mandate that the Holy Spirit gives to us for holy living? What do we do with that remaining sin? Paul tells the church at Rome, we attack it. We go on the, we go on the offense. We, Paul gives to us an action item, a way that we can actively respond. I love the King James word there. He says, you do mortify the deeds of the body. You put to death sin. It's a full-on attack of any sinful practice that's happening in your life. It's rejecting everything that we know to be sinful. It's a declaration of war against sin in your life. It's giving no space in your life for attitudes and actions that are sinful. What did Jesus say on the Sermon on the Mount? He said, and if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For if it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and that thy whole for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. 
And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Drastic action. Hyperbolic, yes, but Jesus was making the point. Hey, take drastic action against your sin. Pastor Tim Keller said it this way. A Christian doesn't play games with sin. You don't aim to wean yourself off of it or say, I can keep it under control. You get as far away from it as possible. Christian, are you trying to wean yourself off of sin? No. Get as far away from it as possible. Take drastic measures with sin. Avoid any path that could lead to it. Take a different route home from work. Use a dumb phone instead of a smartphone. Be slow to speak. Take time to, to process before you talk. Do something drastic and stop using social media. Don't go to buffets. Do whatever you have to do to take sin seriously, to declare war on sin in your life. No action is too aggressive. No price is too great to turn from sin. Killing sin is not easy. We can't be what we should be, what we've been recreated, born again to be, without the Holy Spirit. So it's the Holy Spirit's might, and he's using a means, he's working through us, and he's mandated us, is there a personal responsibility involved. We can't just say, okay, God, the Holy Spirit, it's your power, I'm going to live a holy life, do it, and then we just not take any action. There's an involvement by us as humans. Sin has to be uprooted, and that happens as we repeatedly remind ourselves of the gospel, of God's grand love for us, what, the extent that he's gone to to rescue us. One pastor said, Mortification withers sin's power over you by focusing on Christ's redemption in a way that softens your heart with gratitude and love, which brings, to you, which, which brings you to hate the sin for itself so it loses its power of attraction over your heart. I want to make a clear point from Paul's verse, what's recorded for us in verse 13. He says, But if you, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Obedience to God, putting sin to death, mortifying it, declaring war on sin is not legalism. The word legalism is, is often overused. God's call for obedience to take a stand and to do what's right, God's call to say no to sin and to obey Him is not a call for legalism. Legalism is an attempt to earn God's favor. God, I'm going to obey you so that you will love me more. That's legalism. That's not what Paul is calling us to. That's not what obedience to God is. Rather, Paul is teaching us that life is the fruit of justification. He's teaching us that through the Holy Spirit's power, we can put sin to death. We can mortify sin in our body. Sin and the Spirit should not live together. We are a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul told the church at Corinth. He says, do you not know that your body 
is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. So what do you do that glorifies God with your body? What do you not do because you seek to glorify God with your body? Are you doing your body harm through addictive narcotics or tobacco products? Are you doing your body harm through gluttony? Are you doing your body harm through laziness or failure to care for yourself and and getting enough sleep or being sexually pure? We are a temple. The Holy Spirit of God resides within God's children. So remind yourself, Christian, that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Remind yourself that anyone who is born again is also a temple of the Holy Spirit. So respect them and love them as you remember that the Spirit of God resides in them. Mortification of sin can only happen through the Holy Spirit. So your holy living doesn't happen because you try really, really hard. Because you can try really, really hard and still get the Hebrew word, right? Holy living does not happen without your participation, though. That's a faulty thinking of let go and let God. Holy living comes by faithfully living out the life of the Spirit of God that He has provided as He indwells you as a Christian. So yes, there is a human responsibility to, to kill sin in your life. It is also true that it can only happen in, in coordination with God the Holy Spirit working in you, in His power. So Christian, busy yourself with killing sin through the Holy Spirit. How does one go about that? Well, there are different ways that God has made clear to us in his word. First of all, we can recognize, we can acknowledge our sin, and we can confess that, as we read in Romans chapter 7. We can fix our eyes on God so we can give attention to God. We can set aside time to be in the Word and to pray instead of going, in, going day in and day out without talking to God or even considering who God is. It's a, it's, a, it's a matter of fixing your mind on God. We can commit God's Word to the memory of our hearts. And when we memorize portions of God's Word, we're actually learning to think as God thinks or to think in the way that God has communicated to us. And we have God's word hidden in our hearts. We do that so we might not sin against God. God did not ask you to earn your no condemnation status. Rather, he provided that to you through his son. Likewise, God does not ask you to put, to to gut out your holy living. Rather, he provides that to you through his Holy Spirit as you mortify sin. Christian, there is There is hope for both your present life and your future life. You are able to to live a godly life in this present world because of the work of the Holy Spirit who resides in you. And because you have the spirit of life in you, Paul tells us you will live. There will be eternal life. That's hope for your eternal journey. The spirit of life gives hope to both your presence and eternal life. May God help us, the people of Harvest Bible Church, to acknowledge the spirit of life that is within us, that we may mortify sin, that we may serve one another and this body and the community for God's own glory until Jesus comes again for us. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.